Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Billy Durney from Hometown Barbecue in Brooklyn, New York coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my good friend and frequent co-host, Mary Clarkson, for the first time now as the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose, no longer La Olivier. Mary, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Eric. A little busy these days, but I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. (laughs) All right. We will get to Avondale in the Restaurants of the Week segment, but first, let's talk about the news of the week, starting with, uh, you know, I always joke that there's a worst kept secret in Houston food. And it until last week, it was that Ronnie Killen wanted to open a Tex-Mex restaurant. <laughs> uh, he has made that official. He has signed a lease in Pearland for a restaurant that he's calling Killen's TMX. This will join uh, Killen's SDQ, his steak and barbecue hybrid, uh, Killen's burgers, Killen's barbecue, his uh, widely acclaimed barbecue joint. And, of course, Killen's Steakhouse, the, the restaurant that started it all. Um, Mary, let me just throw it to you. What do you think about Ronnie Killen getting into the Tex-Mex game? I think it's a very popular trend these days. <laughs> um, I think, you know, why not? He's obviously done so incredibly well with barbecue. This might seem like a natural uh, progression for him uh, to dive into Tex-Mex. We've had a few Tex-Mex openings as of recent, and let's see what he's got. I'm excited to see. Yeah, I think what's he's been fooling around with this idea for a while, and especially on the dinner menu at Killen's Barbecue, where you can get things like brisket enchiladas, queso, fajitas, you know, just kind of developing some ideas. And the other thing I think is a uh, couple of things I think are, are interesting about this process is he went to Cabo San Lucas and took some cooking classes. So he learned to make mole and he got some ideas about making salsas. He told me that he even experimented with some dishes that use insects as ingredients. So he wants to kind of walk that line between like pretty traditional, very classic Tex-Mex, but also some interior Mexican elements. So I, I think it's safe to say that there, there isn't anything like that in Pearland. For sure not. <laughs> and then the other thing I think is interesting is Russell Ibera, the owner of Gringo's, invited Ronnie to visit his Pearland location to see how they do things, right? Meet his tortilla maker and, and learn their recipes and procedures. You know, I, I know that the restaurant business is very competitive, Uh, But there's also kind of a shared camaraderie. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that that was happening because Russell is probably some Russell is not uh, someone who gets a lot of culture map love, so to speak. Not really. Gringo is not really a a culture map restaurant. But uh, (laughs) but I I do think that kind of camaraderie in the restaurant business is is very cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see how um, something like maybe crickets would go over in Pearland. I was just at a restaurant last night in Mexico City where ants, crickets, and snails were on the first page of the menu. So you never know. Yes, uh, Matt Harris, uh, another co-host of this show, uh, was in Mexico City recently and ate tarantula. I don't. I don't think that's coming to Pearland. I don't. I don't even think Hugo Ortega is messing with tarantula. 
But but yeah, I, I like that Ronnie wants to... I mean, of course it's Ronnie. He wants to do all things. And so he's not just going to... You know, he's not just going to serve enchiladas and fajitas. Of course he's going to serve everything. Awesome. All right, let us move on. Sad note. Maba Pan-Asian Diner, the uh, kind of innovative... Uh, Chinese Vietnamese inspired restaurant in Midtown has closed. Um, that space at 510 West Gray is one that has been <laughs> home to a number of different establishments over the years. West Gray Public House, The Good Life. It had a very, very brief moment as a Korean restaurant named Anju. Um, I think what's interesting about Maba is that it had gotten a lot of critical praise. Allison Cook ranked it as the 11th best restaurant in Houston. I didn't share that opinion, but I liked the food there. Um, Mary, as, as a restaurateur and a mm -hmm. real estate person, mm -hmm. do you believe that some spaces are just cursed? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I maybe I shouldn't, but I absolutely do. I mean, just make this place a Starbucks drive through and call it a day. Uh, the parking is sorry. Um, the parking is terrible. Uh, it's situated kind of poorly. I don't think it's this restaurant's fault. I think, um, you know, critical acclaim doesn't pay the bills. Sometimes it's nice to have that critical acclaim, but unless you've got the volume and unless people can get in and out of your business, and this was a tough strip center to get in and out of and maneuver. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings was in there, I think. Yes, Buffalo Wild Wings has been there forever, does very well, and as a result, takes up all the parking, <laughs> the limited parking in the strip center. Now, Mama did get a few dedicated spots, but... That's it, not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. I feel bad for them. Um, good concept. Maybe they'll find another spot or do something else, but... As a real estate attorney and broker, I look at this space and I would steer my clients away from it. It just doesn't have the egress or ingress that you need to maneuver in and out of a center. And I'm sitting here as we're in the studio overlooking a strip center with several restaurants in it. And you've got to be able to drive two cars each direction in a strip center um, to have it really be functional. And that space was always super tight. Yeah, I mean, the last time I ate there, I talked to... Wayne Wynn, who's the, the chef owner, he just seemed tired. Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't think this is that surprising. He, you know, he's a good marriage. He's got a young, he's got young children. Uh, he told Greg Morago that he's looking forward to taking a vacation and spending more time with his family. So I don't know if Maba is coming back anytime soon. I kind of hope that it does because I think the, the food was interesting. It really does suit uh, a lot of the things that people like to eat in in Houston in different contexts. So I, I do think in a better location it might have had a shot, but uh, it, it's realistically, like, it's, <laughs> it, it's probably not coming back. Um, but, yeah, the, there's, yeah, I can't think of, I can't think of what I would try to put next to that. Starbucks. Well, there's like a Starbucks, <laughs> like, like a block away. Look at West Gray. They got Starbucks across the street from each other. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's the, the end of the universe, I think is what Lewis Black called that. Um, and then let's move on. Uh, topic number three, the rustic, the Dallas based live music venue, bar and restaurant uh, that unites free range <laughs> concepts. They own 
the general public in city center uh, with Pat Green, or as you know, as I knew him in college, Pat Fucking Green. <laughs> uh, I was in high school for the record. <laughs> yeah, is going to open in downtown, right next to the George R. Brown Convention Center, uh, with a Pat Green concert on November first. Mary, I have to say, like, I am right in the wheelhouse for this because I remember when Pat Green was a big deal. I asked some of the 20-something interns in our office if they know, like, name me a Pat Green song, and they couldn't. Uh, Mary, if I say to you, name me a Pat Green song. Oh, God. I mean, I was totally, I had a Pat Green bumper sticker in high school, but I couldn't name you a song right now if my life depended on it. Wave on wave. (laughs) Carry on. The the I'm I you know but but then I I looked on Spotify and Wave on Wave had like eight hundred thousand plays which is by the standards of Spotify not that many so this this may be a a, a very generational thing um, but I will say there's there's a location in Dallas and a location in San Antonio that do huge numbers in terms of their sales and I asked uh, <laughs> I asked Brooke Williamson who does some videos for Culture Map and for Sports Map what she thinks of the rustic. And she said that it, the food is really good and they go there. Like she goes there for dinner on a pretty regular basis. She knows Pat. She knows uh, one of the partners in free range concepts. Uh, this feels like, you know, downtown is changing and this part of downtown is right next to East downtown where truck yard and rodeo goat and agriculture is about to open. All that stuff is going on. This feels like the right concept at the right time for that part of Houston. I think this will appeal to the masses. You and I are a little bit spoiled uh, here inside the loop, but I'm sure if they have two concepts already, they've tested the waters and know that this type of concept will work for them. Yeah, 25,000 square feet. Holy crap. <laughs> are they going to? Oh, wow. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. 25,000 feet? Okay. <laughs> uh, will you go see Pat Green in concert at the Rustic? Sure, I will. I'll go do it once. I'll I'll try anything once. <laughs> and they're going to have uh, other country music acts and and similar stuff there. I mean, if nothing else, right? The on a much much smaller scale, the opening of Goodnight Charlie's has been a nice reminder that this is still Texas. People still like to go see live country music from time to time. Um, being in a in an area with a lot of hotels, a lot of conventions, uh, sports teams, the whole thing just makes just seems like the right fit to me i think so listen people in houston i kind of joke sometimes that like what is there to do besides eat and drink um so concerts there you go music yeah, now you can go see now you can go see a show at the rustic all right and then uh finally uh the waffle bus which uh really may be the last of the old school food trucks from that like 2010 11 12 era it hasn't opened a restaurant yet, right? Bernie's Burger Bus, Pie Pizza, Rice Box, Good Dog, you know, all went to brick and mortar. Uh, they're going to join the trend. They have signed a lease on North Shepherd next to uh, Connie Rosso. And the Waffle Bus will finally have a permanent home. Uh, Mary, I feel like I know the answer to this, but have you ever eaten the Waffle Bus before? I have not. <laughs> Well, I will say this is one of the most popular food trucks in Houston. They have a, they're they're frequently at the University of Houston. They can be found in Midtown on the weekends. Waffle sandwiches, chicken and waffle sandwiches, yeah. sweet and savory waffles. 
it's a little bit gimmicky, but it has proven to be very durable. And it's I, comfort food. Yeah. And it's familiar. And I, you know, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I just, I think this is probably, you know, again, this is an area that's, that's changing really fast. Uh, La Lucha and Superica have just opened. Conerosa is there. Kasushi is there. All the projects in the waterworks are coming. The burger joint's going to be there soon. I saw the burger joint the other day. Damn, that whole area. Yeah. <laughs> so this feels like kind of the right thing at the right time. You're nodding, which does not help on a podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eric. I'm like, yes. No, the whole density of that Shepherd-Durham corridor is incredible. Uh, there's lots lots of openings. I worry a little bit about parking for a lot of these concepts. Um, La Lucha just opened right across from one of your favorite breakfast spot snooze. Um, I can't even begin to imagine how hard it's going to be to get in and out of there on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. So the one thing that I worry about is traffic. Uh, I was on 19th Street this weekend, and to make the left onto Durham to head back to Montrose, there's enough cross traffic coming east from, uh, you know, Shady Acres and uh, Timberlake, you know, all of that stuff that's that's sort of to the west that, like, two cars got through. And that is not enough cars, right? <laughs> that, like, there, there's going to need to be some changes. We're going to need a left turn lane. We're going to need some traffic lights. We're going to need some more infrastructure because this whole area is about to get a lot busier. The density uh, in the whole area is just off the charts right now. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think the waffle bus will do just fine. Sure. It will. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back to talk about our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to what's Eric eating. So, Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I have three that I want to discuss. Yes. Shall we start with Avondale Food and Wine? We can if you'd like. I think that we should since it's your restaurant. Now, admittedly, I have not had a chance to dine (laughs) at Avondale Food and Wine since it stopped being La Olivier. Yes. Uh, But just tell us a little bit about what, what makes Avondale Food and Wine different from La Olivier. Okay, so it's a big departure for us. It's a big change. Um, chef Olivier is still uh, the chef, of course, but we have taken a dramatic departure from our roots as La Olivier. So what's new? We have dramatically, our, our menu is much tighter, smaller, 15 to 20 items for the entire menu. That'll rotate every couple of weeks. Um, the cuisine is I would call it worldly. It's still based in French technique, but it's worldly cuisine, small plates, shareable plates, nothing over 30 bucks. Um, to start at least, uh, we have a whole, uh, we have a snapper for $28, a half uh, face snapper that is incredibly delicious and beautiful presentation. Olivier put a lot of time and effort into this menu development, and I'm excited to have him be able to cook outside of French. I think people sometimes are scared of French, think it's too fancy or fine dining, and we really wanted to give him the freedom um, to express himself because he is incredibly talented. And I think making it less formal and more casual and more integrated into our neighborhood, hence the name Avondale as we're located in Montrose, uh, is a big part of that. And then 
So what's really changing is people look at me like I'm crazy, but we gave up our liquor license. And the reason that we are doing so is the back third of our restaurant is now going to become a wine retail store. Um, We're going to focus on brands that need our support, wines that you can find at Specs or other chain accounts won't be available at Avondale. We want this a place where you can discover your new favorite wine, uh, wines with a story, a family, and authenticity, and a by-the-glass program that focuses on new school young wine producers. So uh, we'll mix that in with classic wines from historic producers, usually not available by the glass, and you will be able to have corkage uh, fee as well. So you'll bring, be able to bring in up to two bottles. Uh, corkage fee will be $30 a bottle. So we're excited about, about that. Our wine markup is going to be uh, very low along the lines of what you've seen at Ibiza. Ibiza was kind of the uh, herald heralder of low wine markups, followed by many other restaurants in town including Abuzi and B19 and, and many others. So we're excited about the change. It's a, it's a big, big change. Yeah, and, and let's just say it's not, it's not you picking the wine. Absolutely not. It's, it's, um, uh, it's our friend Nate Rose who has an incredible uh, depth of experience in the wine industry. He, he worked for Specs for a long time. He was helping Brian Caswell out with Oxbow 7 and, and with redoing the wine list at Reef. So... This is so when we talk about these smaller producers, these are probably almost exclusively places that Nate has been. These are places that he's been, that he has relationships with the owners and the winemakers. So that really lends a credibility to a wine program that very few people in town have. I mean, he has he has intimate relationships with all of these winemakers. He envisions doing uh, winemaker happy hour takeovers when they're in town doing visits. Obviously, our dinners, our wine dinners that we've always done will continue, but with an emphasis on these smaller producers. And I love Houston Wine Merchant. They're in Upper Kirby. They're the closest people to us, but none of none of the wine um, retail shops offer that restaurant component that we do. And so I do think that sets us apart, and we are really going to ramp up our food to go so imagine people stopping in and picking up cheese and charcuterie to go or salads or a steak or whatever they want um, from both our regular menu and a a separate menu for the wine retail so we're excited about that uh are you still open for lunch by the way just we are still open for lunch um during the week yes uh weekend uh will still be dinner only for now we might expand that once we get our legs underneath us and you're you're about you're like four days in. We How's are, it going? <laughs> we are four days in. We are four days in. We are still working out, you know, kind of uh, the final placement of our wine retail wall. Just went in a couple of days ago. Our wine tasting table, uh, but it's it's getting a good feel, and we think that we'll have all of the wine in for our new list here in the next week or so. So. Once we have that, we'll really be ready to showcase what we have, and people will be able to stop by and uh, take a bottle home with them or sign up for one of the many wine events and clubs that we'll have. All right. And then I also want to talk about La Lucha. Yes. This is uh, one of two new concepts that uh, have come to Houston from State of Grace owner Ford Fry. Uh, State of Grace, one of my favorite restaurants, one of your favorite restaurants. Absolutely. Um, 
La Lucha is paired with Super Rico, which is a Tex-Mex restaurant. But but La Lucha is uh, roughly inspired by the San Jacinto Inn. So oysters several ways, raw, roasted, fried, uh, fried shrimp dinners, fried chicken. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Mary, tell us why. Okay. Why do you love it? Well, I, okay, so for those of you that hadn't been in this space before, I thought they did an amazing Right, uh, it, it, tr- it was the hunky-dory space. Yes. Um, I think they did a really nice transformation of the space and made it feel even more intimate, perhaps, than it was before. It feels, it feels cozy, but open. Um, you can still see into the kitchen a little bit. Uh, the food presentation's right on. I mean, it's... It's southern, it's Gulf Coast, it's, it's, it feels like a local restaurant, even though I know that it's not. Um, well, so I had dinner there on, I had dinner there with you for their kind of invite-only preview party. Yes, you did. And then I went back uh, for opening night last night, and sitting in there, it feels like kind of the more casual, more comfortable version of State of Grace. Still grounded in Gulf Seafood. But at a lower price point, and in a more casual way, right? Like the there's none of the like the big beef items or shareable items. It's well, there's a lot of shareable items, but not not kind of the big entrees. It's it's the smaller stuff. It's it's a burger. It's fried chicken. It's you know really nice bread slathered with uh, like a compound crawfish butter on it. There's just like it's it's kind of snackable. Um, I think it reflects it's the very neighborhood. Comfortable. I think it reflects the neighborhood that it's in in the same way that State of Grace reflects the neighborhood that it's in. So this reflects the heights very well, the casualness about it. I mean there's a little upscale feeling to it, but it's still casual and State of Grace fits perfectly in River Oaks. So they know their aesthetic and I think this is really well situated um, for the heights and even broader than that. Right. I think the, the biggest change to the space, I mean, the space has been thoroughly redone, but the, the one that's most obvious bar. is that the, the bar, right? The Hunky Dory had that little bar with those kind of narrow booths. They tore all that out. They put in one big U-shaped bar. Give me a big bar. Takes over that room. <laughs> well, and that's what Ford Fry told me. I wanted a big bar. He's yeah. got a big bar. Look at State of Grace. How many people does State of Grace's bar seat? Like yeah. 20? Yeah. <laughs> and they've got, a, they've got a really great extensive selection of mezcal. They want to, you know, I, I have not taken the plunge and, and experimented with oyster and mezcal pairings, but uh, Matt Crawford, who's the GM for both concepts, assures me that they go together. We'll Uber you home. Yeah. Somebody, <laughs> somebody else is driving when we, when we do the mezcal tasting at, at La Lucha. But uh, I did. I, I went there with, uh, with a couple, with Matt Harris, with Felice Sloan, uh, both of whom are co-hosts of the show. We stomped our way through a whole bunch of things on the menu and thoroughly enjoyed all of it. Uh, the one the one funny thing is there's only one dessert. Nice. Soft serve ice cream, chocolate or vanilla. Perfect. Simple. Or swirl. You can get swirl. Swirl it is. Swirl it is. <laughs> uh, and I'm then, excited for Matt Crawford too. He's worked his he's worked his butt off for opening this place. Yeah. I mean, this is right. Matt was simultaneously trying to become a master sommelier <laughs> and open a restaurant. Uh, so just opening a restaurant is, will be like a, a nice, will free him up a little. He'll have more free time now. Absolutely. But yeah, it's a great looking space. The food is good. I'm excited about La Lucha. I will be back there 
uh, frequently, I suspect. I'm excited to try a, a full meal on a regular night there. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, and then I do just briefly want to mention sweet bribery. Uh, since we're talking about things in the Heights and all things State of Grace, uh, Sweet Bribery is a new ice cream shop from Sharon Leonard, formerly Gofried, who was the pastry chef at State of Grace, um, basically from opening day from about two months in. Uh, and it's it's if you're familiar with her work at State of Grace, you know that she likes kind of home style, very classic, classic desserts, but but made better than people make them at home. So, you know, chocolate vanilla, mint chocolate chip, cookies and cream, all that stuff, but also uh, some boozier flavors. There's a bourbon flavor. Uh, there's sorbets. There's a, a dairy-free, gluten-free uh, coconut key lime pie. And also there are baked goods, uh, brownies, cookies, uh, lemon tart, chocolate tart. And then uh, they've, they've applied for a liquor license. They've not received the liquor license yet. Uh, but there will be floats with beer and wine. So sorbet, uh, sorbet champagne floats, stout ice cream floats, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, there won't be boozy milkshakes, unfortunately, or at least not made with not made with hard alcohol. Uh, but there will be every other kind of alcohol and ice cream pairing that you can think of. Uh, I've been there a couple of times. I had a I had the Bananarchy Sunday. This is uh, banana pudding ice cream topped with banana frangelico caramel uh, and graham cracker and something else. And it's, it's extreme. Like I love banana flavored things. I like banana bread. I like banana ice cream. I like banana pudding. Uh, this checked a lot of boxes for me. And I'm, I think, uh, you know, certainly there are other ice cream options in the area. Uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of fat cat. I'm a fan of cloud 10. Uh, but I think what Sweet Bribery is doing is a little bit different, and I think it's going to fit in really nicely uh, at its location on 19th and Rutland. That's uh, basically across the street from the Heights Theater, and they're going to be open late on the weekend. So you could see a show, get a little ice cream afterwards, kind of make a night of it. Um, Mary, have I sold you on sweet on trying Sweet Bribery? Uh, absolutely. I would love to go. Um, I've always enjoyed the desserts at State of Grace. Obviously very talented I can't wait to go and try this out with you, hopefully. Yes, we will go. We will, <laughs> we will have dinner at La Lucha, and then we will save room for dessert and go to Sweet Primary. Deal. All right. That does it for the restaurants of the week. Uh, Mary, just give people an update on the website and the social media and all that for Avondale. Sure. So website's avondalefoodandwine.com. Same on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, we are going to go live with our full retail wine, hopefully here in the next week. And so, Eric, after we do that, you are invited in uh, to come and taste and preview this space. We're really excited. Um, completely different concept for us, and we hope that people will welcome us. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, I'll be right back with Billy Durney. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Fall is here. School has started. Cooler temperatures are coming, even if we don't know exactly when, which means it's a great time to go back to 8th Wonder Brewery, uh, one of my favorite local breweries. I love visiting the brewery in East Downtown. It's just, they always have something fun going on. There's always the Eatsy Boys food truck serving food. And of course, there's Eighth Wonders beers, which are 
easy drinking and always very flavorful. They've been working through their series of collaborations with local Houston hip-hop artists. The brewery always has something really special on tap. And the Wonder World, the backyard, is always a great place to gather with friends, uh, especially if you're in the middle of a, a bar crawl through the neighborhood. You can hit a couple spots, but always make sure you stop at 8th Wonder. So thank you to 8th Wonder for sponsoring the show. And here's our guest of the week. I am joined this week by Billy Durney, the chef owner of Hometown Barbecue in Brooklyn, New York. Billy will be in Houston September 30th for the Southern Smoke Festival. We're going to talk about that and a couple other things. But, uh, Billy, let me introduce you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Am I, am I understanding this right? You're in an airport in Nashville right now? Uh, no, I, I was in an na- airport in Nashville. I just got home and um, from the airport, and I'm now in uh, my home upstate New York uh, in the mountains, getting two days of relaxation before I head back to Brooklyn and to all the craziness that's ensuing there. That sounds, that actually sounds really great. It's like, uh, you know, 90 degrees and humid as hell here. So upstate New York yeah. sounds pretty great to me. Yeah. Well, it's about 88 degrees and humid. <laughs> <laughs> the whole country's getting, uh, Hey, listen, I, uh, my friends are in, um, in, uh, Greensboro right now getting poured on in rain um, so and flooded out so I'm uh, I'm happy to be here in dry New York state. Yeah, I mean we you know we had the hurricane last year so we're definitely thinking about those folks in the Carolinas and hoping Absolutely. They come yeah, you know, hurricane okay. Sandy was a huge thing for us. 6 months about 6 months before I was about to open we got the hurricane Sandy hurricane Sandy came through and destroyed our building and our our community and um, we worked tirelessly over over the last uh, several years to uh, rectify all the harm that that did. So, um, Sam Jones from Skylight Inn and Sam Jones Barbecue in Aiden, North Carolina, uh, is one of my best friends, and um, he's also the fire chief, the local fire chief in town. So, um, you know, we, our prayers are with them, and um, they know we're on call to get there as as soon as uh, we can get into town and help them out. We'll we'll be able to do that. You know, Operation Barbecue Relief is a big part of the barbecue community, and they're already, uh, I think, in in uh, in Charlotte and several other areas, uh, providing meals for um, all the folks there, first responders, and folks that are in need. So, um, so you're going to head down there? You think this week? I I will definitely head down there if Sam thinks I'm needed down there, or if Bar- Operation Barbecue Relief. And the good work that Stan and uh, Will are doing there, if they need me, um, then yes, I will go 100%. All right. I mean, the barbecue community is is so supportive of each other, and, and it's such a it's it's an impressive group. Uh, let me just kind of start at the beginning here. How did how did a New York guy become interested in in barbecue? <laughs> that's the that's the the five buck question, huh? That's what uh, that's what I get asked most often. You know, it's it's a simple thing. It's a one-word answer, travel. I think when people are traveling and they're exposed to different cultures and communities, um, you know, they start seeing the world through food, even if they're not part of the food community itself. And uh, although I grew up in my grandmother's knee loving to cook, and it was a pretty above, maybe average to above average home cook, <clears throat> it wasn't until I saw people cooking whole animals on live fire, and, uh, and a trip to a little small town called Taylor, Texas. 
and through the doors of Louis Miller Barbecue in that little town of Taylor, Texas, that that I knew it could be possible for someone like me to uh, replicate what was going on all over the country in a very archaic way, cooking on all wood fire, uh, you know, and then, you know, attaching, you know, meat and vegetables and fish and all sorts of things to those live fires to create a really harmonious meal. And once I, once I burnt enough barbecue and messed up enough briskets and beef to, <laughs> uh, the butchers love me, man, I would just come in and, and murder their, you know, I would just, I was not good at first, I can tell you that, but it took it took a lot to get used to. But it was really it was really one trip to Taylor, Texas, uh, in Central Texas that really changed my life. And so, so what uh, was it that brought you to Taylor, Texas? I mean, I, I mean, I think Texas. I think Texans know. I was in I was uh, my my past my past life my past world was in private security. Uh, we did close in protection for some some folks, and um, I was there early on a trip and. Um, drove out to Taylor and just just rocked my whole world walking into that old gymnasium and uh, seeing all the sit covered walls and that old brick pit. I mean, it's just the most. I still to this day the most romantic room I've ever stepped in in a restaurant. We can't. We so my my understanding is you provided security for uh, musicians for uh, traveling concerts. Well, that's not true. That's oh, not okay. True. Uh, All right. No, no. I, I mean, I, I, I provide security for a lot of folks from foreign dignitaries to Hollywood celebrities um, to musicians. But I definitely was not on the concert tour. I think a lot of people get that mixed up because they see me on the stage of a lot of shows because I have a lot of musician friends. But um, but no, I never worked touring with bands. I have some of my best friends in the world do that. And I did um, I did supplement the security for um, several very, very, very well-known musicians while they were in New York. Um, but no, I wasn't part of the traveling. I work with mostly young Hollywood. Got it. So, all right. So you made your way to, to Louis Miller and you, you learned about, did you, did you work there? Is, did you sort of stodge with Wayne? No, no, no. I first met Wayne Miller afterwards at, um, 17th street barbecue in Murfreesboro, Illinois, Mike Mills and Amy Mills were giving a, a course there on whole hog cooking and I guess brisket cooking or something like that. And, uh, Mike, I, I'd always been a fan of what Mike was doing and Mike as a person. And Mike has always been an inspiration to a lot of us barbecue guys. And so I said, wow, I got to go out there. It's going to be an amazing time. I get to meet Wayne Miller, this guy whose grandfather and father changed my life by just all their hard work and what they, they accomplished. Um, and I got to meet Sam Jones and, Pat Martin and um, who are my two best friends in barbecue to this day. And um, so I got to meet a lot of special friends that day. And I went up to Wayne and I told him the story about walking into Louis Miller several years prior to that and um, how it changed my life. And, you know, now Wayne is uh, amongst um, my best friends as well in the barbecue community. So um, that's how I met Wayne. And that's how I really became affiliated with um, with um, with those guys, and 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 then it was on journeys to to Louis Miller, and just in hundreds of conversations with Wayne um, over the years uh, about barbecue, about science, about technique, about thermodynamics, about um, wood combustion and meat science, and all the things that are really important to people who take this very seriously. So. 
Um, it was that day meeting them in Murfreesboro that really kind of ignited my fire, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've always said that Louie Miller is my favorite Texas barbecue joint. I, I don't really want to get into the argument about what is or isn't the best. Cause I, you know, people get oh, very, I completely agree with you. I don't, I don't ever say the words the best, but it is, it is my favorite though. And it's my Chris favorite too. It, I don't uh, care who, I don't care what everybody, else, <laughs> what everybody else is, is what everybody else is. What mine is, my memory is my memory. And, yeah. um, no, Chris and, Reed calls it the Cathedral of Smoke. I always like it. It is the Cathedral of Smoke, and if no one can, no one can ever argue with that. That's for sure. I mean, you know what? I don't believe that. Um, you know, Mike Mills told me one of the first times I met Mike. He said, "Someone's the the best barbecue to one person is the the, the best barbecue to someone is the first they ever had," and I think that's a very interesting thing. And what Mike was really getting at was. When you're a young child or and your mom and dad or you know take you to your bar, get barbecue for the first time, it's a love affair. It's an infatuation with that place. And you know, it doesn't have to be on any list or it doesn't have to be, you know, notably uh, recognized as one of the top barbecue restaurants in the world. It's just special to you. And you know, if Louis Miller wasn't as famous as it is and on all these great number one list or top 10 list or whatever you want to call it, it would still be my favorite barbecue. It's regardless because it's the first one I really, that really rocked my world, you know? So, um, I don't get caught up in the best conversation. I love that you said that people say all the time, you know, Peter Luger's in, in New York city is considered the best steakhouse in the world. And I always say it's my favorite steakhouse in the world. And, and I, cause I don't like doing that best thing either. I mean, it's such a, such a there's so many great barbecue cooks and so many great restaurants that you know people there's, there's just hard hard working people all the time why are we going to try to put each other on top of each other it doesn't make sense so how did you go from barbecue enthusiast to owning your own barbecue restaurant so i just did it i mean i i i i traveled i i left the protection community um in in you know and and my principles and my protectees um in really good standing and then just said hey i'm on a journey and uh my girlfriend who at the time who is now my wife today is our actual seventh wedding anniversary that's why i rushed back here from nashville um happy anniversary Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> my wife, um, my my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, said, uh, you know, I looked at her and I said, hey, I, you know, I'm just kind of, I want to be, I, I, I got divorced from a previous marriage and my daughter was about four or five years old when I, you know, at the time when I started thinking about doing this. She's now 14 and just started high school, which is unfathomable to believe that my life has changed so much in the last nine years. But um and I said, hey, what do you think about this? And at the time, you know, I was working for some really famous people. I was traveling on private planes. We had a pretty nice, cushy life. And I basically said, well, I'll probably be traveling for the next two years, eating all around the country, the world, just to figure this thing out. You know, you know how I get. And that's what I said to her. And I said, what do you think? And, you know, she could have easily said, are you crazy? We have this great life and you want to cook? You know, we don't know anything about restaurants or how to run them or and she just said, go for it. And when she did that, you know, I felt like, you know, I had her real support and one thing led to another. And that's exactly what I did. I emptied the bank account <laughs> over two years and gained about 80 pounds. Um, so now I call my figure body by barbecue. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, she gave me 
the green light and that kind of gave me um, the wings to fly. So I traveled all around the country, I, one or two international trips. And when I get back to New York, I just said, wow, I, that, that, you know, I ate a lot of amazing food, but I ate a lot of really bad food. And um, the thing that I think I want to do is not do anything that I had on my on my journey. So two years of traveling, eating everything that I could in my path as far as barbecue and wood-fired cooking was concerned. Um, one thing led to another and just I got back to New York and said, man, it wouldn't make sense for me to cook hogs like they do in North Carolina or this or that. You know, I say I definitely want to give homage to Texas because that's what makes me makes my palate sing the most. And I think the best barbecue comes from Central Texas. But at the end of the day, I really just want to do my own food. I'm a street kid from Brooklyn. Why should I try to represent what anybody else is doing? So I said I would definitely do the beef rib and the brisket as an homage to Louis Miller. But um, our menu at Hometown is very, very multi-ethnic. Um, Vietnamese food, Korean style. You know, we make our own cor- uh, corn tortillas from scratch every morning. We do Oaxacan dishes. Um, we do lamb belly we do you know we, we're kind of out there in the world um but still using traditional wood-fired cooking techniques um as they do all throughout texas as they do all throughout the east carolinas um and all the places that i'm most proud to associate um with that cook barbecue well it, it must be working out because anytime <laughs> any of my texan friends go to new york city I can count on the Instagrams from hometown. Uh, <laughs> well, what do you th- yeah. what do you think it is? I mean, what what is it about your restaurant that that has let New Yorkers uh, and the barbecue community to kind of embrace you? Um, man, I guess that's a better question. Serve to the barbecue elite, I guess. Um, you you might me, be among them, Billy Durney. You might be among well, the barbecue. I mean, I mean, that's 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 great i mean I, I i will tell you i i my original concept really was that my my girlfriend liana who's now again now my wife would be kind of up front we'd have like a 500 square foot little thing i'd be out with a smoker in the back kind of a la my dear friend aaron franklin and under a under a, a highway or something and that kind of was the original feeling you know um is that's what we wanted to do and and it just kind of snowballed and got out of control. But I think why some people consider me up, uh, you know, in 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 the you know, in the presence of some of the names I just said is is simply because of work ethic. I I think that you know when I go out to these festivals and I go out to these places, mostly you know me, Sam, Pat say all the time we now only go on these things for two reasons: emotional and financial. <laughs> so, uh, and most of them, quite frankly, the truth of the matter is 95% of them are, are emotional. Um, they're places we either want to go and spend some time with our friends and cook, uh, or much more importantly, it's for charity. Part of what, part of why we do the things is because I, I just like to get dirty and cook still, you know, and I don't get to do that in the restaurant as much anymore. But I think what has caught the eye and why some of my best friends now are the best barbecuers in the world and why I why I why we relate to each other so much is we're just regular guys and gals from our communities but just really figured out that we want to work a little harder a little smarter than than maybe the next guy and and you know listen there's tens of thousands of barbecue restaurants around the country 
um, you know, to be considered one of the top is just, it wasn't my, it wasn't my, it's not what I set out to be. It's just, I think no one sets out to, to want to be the best at something in that sense, you know, in a competitive sense. But every single day we're tasting our food at hometown and every single day we're trying to manipulate it just a little bit differently to make it a little better for our guests every day. And if you care that much every single day about the food that you're putting out um, because you care so much about the customers, then I think it eventually will translate. You know, I think one thing leads to another. So we never had a hard plan to be the best at anything. We never had a hard plan to be competitive with it. We just wanted to try to be the most unique to who we are. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's like a walk through New York City, the menu at hometown, you know, that, you know, there's dishes from so, so many different parts of the world, just like our landscape. So uh, I don't think anyone with true good intentions sets out to try to be uh, conquering or, or, or better than anybody else. I just think that we try to outwork um, everybody. That's what, our, what we try to do. So you said that uh, it's emotional attachment that brings you to some of these events. Uh, well, this certainly is one of them. Southern Smoke is, is has my emotions all over it. First of all, yeah, uh, when man, did you meet Chris? Me. I guess why don't we why don't we start with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I met Chris. Um, I met Chris a few years ago um, at another event. Uh, we were in we were in Texas. As a matter of fact, we were in. I was I was cooking with Wayne Miller uh, uh, from Louis Miller Barbecue at the. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Austin Food and Wine, and Chris Shepard was a guest chef. I had never heard of Chris before, um, and I was introduced to him by someone, some, I guess it was some PR person or something that introduced me as, you know, they kind of gave me his awards or titles first, and I, and I saw on Chris's face that it made him slightly uncomfortable, and, um, um, which, which gave him this humility, which I hope that I carry when I'm uh, meeting people for the first time. I hope they get that response from me. And I thought it was really cool. And I winded up sitting at his table or sitting by his table with Wayne, uh, had shared a couple cocktails. I'm sure it was bourbon when I was still drinking bourbon. As we all know, his acumen for bourbon is pretty astonishing. And, um, so anyway, I, I had a glass of a, a drink and we broke bread a little bit and talked for a few minutes. And I remember leaving the next day being really impressed by by Chris and um, started looking into who he was and what he was doing, and um, and then the next our next meeting I'm pretty sure our next meeting uh, was in Red Hook, which is a community that I'm extremely proud of and um, and fight for every day as far as you know civic responsibility. So Chris came and uh, ate at hometown, and we pretty much fed him the entire menu and. Uh, I think at that point we were both pretty impressed. I, I had actually I'd been to the I had gone to the restaurant. I'd gone to Underbelly twice, and twice Chris wasn't there, which is very rare um, at the time for Chris not to be there. Um, but we I just loved the food there. I loved the atmosphere. I knew the staff was fully on board, and and you could tell how passionate they were about cooking for him and there and for their community. So I went back home, and, and then he came to Red Hook, and I shared it through our menu. And I think at that point we were impressed with each other culinarily. 
But I think what makes Chris and I really special friends, I mean, I just left him in Nashville, by the way, and we couldn't get enough of time spending together, I think. Um, and now Nick Wong there at, 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 uh, at Preserve. I mean, he, Chris just surrounds himself with the finest people because he is the finest person. And I think that um, this this one is, uh, you know, I was in I was in disarray for probably almost two months not trying to figure. I don't ever really think about what I'm going to cook at these events because a lot of people just. I'm really well known around the country for this beef rib now. Obviously, I, it's you know I have a lot to to thank Wayne Miller for that for, but but that, I think that's the last thing I wanted to cook in Houston. You know, you guys get enough of great barbecue in Houston. You know, you have some really great places there now, and and I just wanted to, and I couldn't think of what to do, and I kept calling him and said I don't know what to do, and finally he's like, Yo, I don't care. We I just want you here, and I want you to be a part of our Houston community, and I want you to be in, and I know they'll love you, and you'll love them, and. And, and, um, he was like, why don't I, I wanted to do something live fire. And, and he's like, Hey man, we got, you know, 44 farms, which I'm a huge fan of, um, there in Texas. He's like, we got some ribeyes. We'll make some flour, you know, we'll make some homemade flour tortillas and, and you could do a taco. So I was like, hold on. You, you don't, you want me to do a taco in Texas? <laughs> I said, I said, hold on. I mean, I can see me not doing the beef rib in Texas courses, but you want me? And he's like, yeah, man, because you listen, when you can cook, you can cook. And that's it. If it comes from a beautiful place and it's meaningful and it's soulful, people will understand regardless, you know, and I'm hoping when I'm there, I'm going to cook some ribeye tacos with a red salsa roja on a beautifully handmade flour tortilla, very simple, honest cooking. And I just hope people get it. And I hope people don't attach it to it's coming from Brooklyn or it's coming from Mexico or it's coming from here. You know, there's not a lot of people around Texas hand milling their own tortillas, hand grinding their own tortilla masa every morning and making tortillas. But we're doing it in Brooklyn. So I just think wherever you are in the world, you can be making amazing, exquisite, delicious food. It just really it all comes from your heart. It all comes from love. It all comes from soul. And if you don't believe that then, you know, you can go to a lot of places that cook without soul and, you know, there's a huge difference. So, so the long version back to your question was meeting Chris has been really, and, and Lindsay for that matter. I mean, just a, you know, great, great duo of people and, um, you know, really, really civic minded, really devoted to their community. And the one thing that definitely binds Chris and I is not food. It's not liquor. It's not, it's not whiskey. It certainly is our, our love for our community and embedding and empowering the children and all the people within our community. So that's what Chris and I bond mostly um, about. Obviously, we both have a massive love and respect for food um, and, and wine and, and, and spirits. But, uh, really when it comes down to it, you know, being a better person is way more important than being a better cook. Yeah, for sure. As you said, you've been to Houston, uh, several times. Yep. Do you have a few places you're looking forward to checking out? Have you been studying up on what's new or do you have restaurants? that Yeah, are must yeah, visit yeah for a you? little bit. I mean, a little bit. I definitely, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to be at UB Preserve because, you know, Nick Wong is one of my heroes. So uh, I think Nick is one of the most talented cooks. I'm not sure in Houston you guys know how, how lucky you are to have gotten Nick there. And um, and, 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 and a, another amazing tribute to Chris and Lindsay and the family. 
that Nick would come from a really high-end chef position in New York City to go and be able to create beautiful food at, at in Houston is, uh, is 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 really amazing. So UB Reserve obviously is, is, is and one fifth obviously are two that I I have um, I will be at and I'll be spending a lot of time. Um, and then there's a few few others. Um, you know, I know Chris and I talked about um, this culinary tour he's taking us on at High Kang, and you know that has this classic cat, Cantonese stuff and. Um, this place, Jasmine, I've been wanting to try this Vietnamese restaurant. Um, you know, I, I guess just all, all sorts of things I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, I do have a lot of friends that cook barbecue in Houston and I won't be having any barbecue probably while I'm there. Um, I don't know if I'll have time, but you know, obviously you guys have some tremendous barbecue happening in Houston. Um, with Ronnie Killen and and so many others. I know my good friend Leonard Vitello is about to open there uh, um, at Truth Barbecue, and I think he's doing some of the best stuff in the country right now. Um, so it's uh, it's exciting to be there. I know you guys have some good wood-fired pizza. Um, I've been wanting to try, obviously, from being Brooklyn, New Yorker. Uh, we take that pretty, pretty seriously. I just had some of the great stuff in the country in Nashville at this place called Folk. Um, that was tremendous. Um, I just, I'm just interested in becoming part of the city a little more and, uh, in the future. And, you know, there's the beauty of this Southern smoke thing is, and I, I was telling a bunch of the chefs in Nashville who were just meeting Chris for the first time, who knew, who knew of Chris, of course, but didn't understand, um, how, how important this, 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 the, the charity is and, um, the charitable arm of all that we're doing is really the most important to Chris, but it's so funny how many of the best chefs in the country really want to cook at this event. Um, and I'm sure light up Chris's phone to say, Hey, we'd love to come help as well. Uh, and then, you know, Chris gets to, uh, Chris has the, the beautiful, um, responsibility of peering through his list of very, very high end chef friends to, to bring some people out. So I think that Chris, also brings out the people that he feels most would attach themselves to this civic minded, you know, kind of concept that we drive so hard in our own communities. So I know Aaron Franklin's going to be there. And oh, it's, it's an all-star cast. I mean, your buddy Sam Jones is going to be there. Eduardo Jordan yeah. from Seattle. I'm yeah. personally very excited about Chris Bianco, the, the famous pizza maker <laughs> from, from Phoenix. Yeah, okay. Chris, Chris Bianco is Chris Bianco is everything. He's everything you you think he's going to be and then 20 times more. He's one of the most unique, special, talented, loving, funny characters. He is he's the best. And you, Houston doesn't know what they have in store when they meet Chris Bianco. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Aaron Franklin's brisket, which is wonderful. That's what always gets the longest line. Oh. At Southern yeah. Smoke, but while everybody's in line for that, I'm going to be camped out for pizza. That's my I might plan. be I might be right next to you. <laughs> Chris uh, Bianco, this, uh, all the great things I said about him, he's also a, a genius cook. Um, his pastas, his pizzas, everything he does is just talk about soulful, soulful and caring cooking. Um, no one does it better than than, than him and. And and in that man, in that regard, Aaron and Sam and Pat Martin and so many of the, the you know some of the chefs you met from uh, you you said from Seattle. I, I actually met him as well in um, 
in um, in Montreal while I was doing an event there, and he's crazy talented. And there's just a line, you know, the lineup is goes on and on and on with a who's who of great cooks, you know. Somehow I snuck in there. Yeah, we're well, we're very excited to have you. I, everyone, uh, I was talking to Michael Fulmer yesterday, one of the organizers of the Houston Barbecue Festival. I was like, oh yeah, I get to talk to Billy oh, Gurney yeah. tomorrow. He's like, lucky you, you know. Tell Billy I said hey. So. Yeah, he's a great guy. I mean, uh, I actually attended the Houston Festival a couple years ago and helped Wayne Miller out. Uh, we did some lamb and some, I think we did beef ribs as well, some lamb lollipops. Um, but yeah, those guys do a great job with the um, the barbecue festival there. I'm looking forward to maybe coming down and being a part of that again. But well, this in the community and Houston is, is thriving and super strong after a, a, a really horrible, horrendous um, – you know, recovery effort that you guys had to go through. And we're all too familiar in, in my end of Brooklyn. You know, we are literally point A, zone A for hurricanes and everything else in, in our area in Brooklyn. We're right on the harbor and the waterfront. Uh, so so we know what you go through and, and, and we're, we're definitely brothers and sisters in that pain. So, um, but yeah, it's a great community. I'm super looking forward to it. Well, well you know, we're, Billy, if you wanted, you could be you could open a location of hometown here. It's, the community is open to you. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't know that it would be a barbecue restaurant, but I'm not. I'm not saying that I wouldn't open a restaurant in Texas or in Houston at some point in my career. Um, we're about to expand. I'm doing a little 40 seat tavern that sells fried chicken and biscuits, and a Jewish inspired deli that does pastrami and stuff. So, um, yeah, we would yes. we would eat all of those things. We like all of those things here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I'm really happy to be coming down. I'm really happy to get to meet you and, um, and uh, stand in line for Bianco's uh, food and, um, and everyone else for that matter. So, I'll, right, be, so I'll be, um, I'll be, I'll be there um, cooking my brains out, but also I'll be there as a fan of, of all the other chefs that are that are coming through. All right. So we always wrap these up with uh, something I call the lightning round. Yeah. Five easy it. questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. All right. Billy Durney, what is your favorite ingredient? Mm. Wood. <laughs> what is the first band you ever saw in concert? A rush. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through. Um, fast food. Oh, fast food guilty pleasure has to come with a drive through. Um, wow. Can you believe this is the one that's going to trick me up? Well, here's the truth. I don't really eat fast food, so it's kind of difficult for me. But if I had to say, um, oh, you babies, that's easy. It's, um, Pat Martin's new burger chain in Nashville, you babies. I'll add that to my Nashville itinerary. All right. I always ask people who their tremendous, tremendous. I, I ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is. That doesn't seem fair to you. So who's your favorite New York sports well, would, figure, past or present? I mean, oh, okay. But I, I won't say the Houston one. But that would be super easy. Um, uh, so wait. So, so who's your so who's again? your favorite New York athlete of all time? Uh, Joe Willie Namath. It's a great answer. And other than hometown barbecue, where's your favorite place to get a taco? In the world? Yeah, in the world. Oh, Valentinus in Austin, Texas. That's a great answer. Uh, Billy, let us know what what's the website for uh, hometown barbecue. How can people follow you? It's, I'm pretty sure it's just at hometownbarbque.com, hometownbarbq. All right, and tickets for the Southern Smoke Festival are on sale now. 
southernsmokefestival.org. Uh, $200 general admission, $350 for the very limited number of VIP tickets that remain. Uh, Billy, we are looking forward to having you in Houston. Thanks for doing this. Honored to be there. Please come out, guys. It's for an amazing cause. And you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked to culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. We'll be right back.